Congratulations. You are listening to the Creative Curmudgeon. My name is Jason, and today I am joined by my old friend, Portland-based ceramics artist, Taylor Ruby Bell. Taylor is the force behind Ruby Bell Ceramics. She's someone that I've known for over 20 years. We had classes in high school together and didn't really talk. And then in 2007, I, I met you through mutual friends and I was like, oh, that person. And uh, then then we then we became friends and we've been friends ever since. And now you've agreed to talk with me in a recorded fashion. And that's very nice of you. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> I forgot that we went to high school together. <laughs> Tell us about yourself other than what I already said. So we, we know that you went to, we went to high school together and that you do ceramics and live in Portland. What else is there that you want the millions of listeners of this <laughs> podcast in. to know? All right. I'll fill in the 15 years between then. Um, the, let me, let me think. Um, so I moved to New York and I actually started doing a completely different career than making art. I spent a large amount of my time going to school for curating art. Um, so I, you know, went to I hit to art school and I was doing studio art, but I never really felt like I had talent in that area. And it was a realization that I had very early on where I loved art. I loved talking about art. I loved looking at art. Um, and I felt like I could recognize talent in others, but I never felt it in myself. But at the time, I didn't know that there were other programs to pursue that adequately tapped that skill that I had. I thought, oh, you just have to go, you go to art school and you just have to do studio art. Um, so I became particularly close to one teacher who understood what I was going through. And she suggested, you know, oh, do you know that there's this whole other line of work where you basically, you know, you find artists, you already have this innate talent in recognizing talent in other people. Um, you know, you can go down this path of, you know, working in museums or working in galleries and doing all these things that you actually love. And so that was really interesting to me and not something that I ever really understood was a job outside of like Hollywood movies. So I just, once I graduated, I decided to pursue an MFA in art criticism, which really fit my interest at the time. And I had some internships at galleries. And then once I finished my master's, I got a job um, as an intern with a gallery in New York. And I proceeded to spend the next eight years working there. And by the time I left, I was gallery director. And this was, you know, a job where I was just looking at art and immersed in art and it was so fantastic. But as the years progressed, I started feeling, I don't know, like a little empty and it, Amen. it, yeah, it just sort of like dawned on me that I actually do have something in me that wants to create and something that. I don't know, like I have my own story to tell. That's not my telling another artist's story, but I just, I had spent so many years, you know, feeling like, oh, that, you know, and kind of saying it out loud and feeling like this isn't my path. You know, that's something that I'm not good at. Um, and it took me kind of reaching a real low point career-wise where I just felt, you know, just really lost and like, oh my gosh, I've spent, I've had one job my whole life, <laughs> you know, with this gallery. And I've, you know, spent my whole education going towards this one thing. And now I'm completely lost because I'm unhappy in it. So, you know, I resigned and this was right at the same time that I had my daughter Via. So I found myself at home without a job and with an infant. And I just was going down this spiral where it was, you know, a pretty intense existential crisis where I was like, who am I now? <laughs> I went from, you know, having my entire identity be about my job. And now my identity is that I am 
an unemployed stay-at-home mom. And that was really tough for me to swallow. And, um, and I just, again, felt really, really lost. And then a friend of mine um, knew I was having a difficult time and she suggested that we go do a wheel throwing ceramics class together. And I was a little hesitant. I was like, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm depressed. I haven't, you know, like showered in several days. I don't want to, you know, I have a baby at home. I don't want to leave my apartment. She was like, no, I already cleared it with my husband, Jared. She was like, he's going to watch the baby while we go and do this once a week for several hours for three months. I was like, okay. So we went and I was really bad, but it was really fun. And it honestly just felt nice to make something with my hands and kind of zone out and not think about anything. And maybe because it was so spur of the moment and not even my idea, it didn't occur to me that I had to be good at it. And so it was just sort of like, oh, this is an activity that's primarily to get me out of the house and get me out of my head. And that was really enjoyable. So once that three months ended, I decided to take a hand building class because wheel throwing didn't really, you know, I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't really um, like progressing in that way, but I still enjoyed the process and just the aspect of touching clay. So I took a hand building class and that just really resonated with me. And I really loved the slower methodology to it. Um, so when that class was over, I just bought some clay, I just ordered it online and I started hand building at my kitchen table in my apartment when my daughter was napping and that slowly became, um, just like a practice that I did every single day, several times a day, cause babies nap all the time. Mm-hmm. And it is really wonderful. Like, I feel like making art and specifically, play, there's this very tangible, like physical thing that you're looking at where you can see your progression. So you can see like, oh, this is the first thing I made that was garbage. And this is now the 15th thing I've made that is so much better. And you can just, you know, you can like visibly lay them out and see that you are improving. And something about that was just building my confidence and was making me, you know, feel like, oh no, I actually have some talent in this time that I'm putting into this new project is actually, you know, you can see that it's working. Um, so, you know, I, once I kind of got a little bit more confident, I posted something on Instagram and then a friend bought it. And then I made another one and posted it on Instagram and another person bought it. And it very slowly and naturally just turned into a business. Um, so since then, uh, you know, COVID happened and my family moved to Portland, which was a pretty strange turn of events. We have no connection to Portland, by the way. It was, you know, we were trying to figure out where should we go? You know, maybe we'll go to LA, maybe we'll go, you know, who knows where. And, um, you know, we've each made a little list to kind of collate and see where we should try out. I was like, remember that wedding we went to like six years ago in Portland? That was fun. <laughs> Should we try Portland? So we decided to give it um, just like a trial period of a year and move here. And um, we just really liked it. And as far as, you know, like Portland and creativity goes for me, I it's really strange, but I had to leave New York <laughs> to feel inspired as an artist which is odd because I feel like the world tells you if you're an artist, you move to a place like New York to nurture your creativity. And for me, it was the complete opposite. I feel like I needed to be someplace where I was really surrounded by nature, mm-hmm. um, which when you think about ceramics makes a lot of sense. It's like the original art form from the earth. Um, but I, I don't know. I think maybe just getting away from everything, getting away from so much art, you know, so much history, so much, you know, I, my entire career was there. I needed a little bit of separation in order to find my own inspirations and to kind of form my own opinions on what makes 
good or bad art. I don't know if there is bad art even, but um, Portland, I feel like was really instrumental in my honing my craft in that way. I mean, yeah, that makes, that makes sense. I could see with New York, it working either way where like somebody could like move there and then be so stimulated by everything going on that it really inspires them to be especially prolific. Like it could be an eye-opening experience, but then I could also see it being having the opposite effect where you're just kind of like so oversaturated that you can barely hear yourself think. And so it makes more sense to like, you know, go to a place that's more naturey or whatever. Yeah. Um, it can also just my age too, you know, we spent 13 years in New York. And so I, I had my initial phase of being really inspired by New York. Mm -hmm. And then I had another, you know, another six or so years of it just becoming the norm. And I wasn't really feeling anything anymore. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you go into a restaurant and every restaurant is hip with a vibe and like has has like some cool fusion, expensive food and whatever, but like every meal is like that. And so every time you go, there's nothing special. So and that kind of sounds of awful to begin with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you but know yeah, what I mean? It's saying. like yeah. you have your whole life be like that because then how do you decipher what's special? Because nothing mm -hmm. becomes special. So um, I'm not saying that Portland is the the gross diner, you know, like whatever, like salad bar buffet to New York's <laughs> great restaurant. But I'm saying that um, there is more room here to breathe where you're not oversaturated with, I don't know, just a bunch of static constantly telling you what to think as far as creativity goes. That no, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, cause you just said a couple minutes ago that you didn't know if there was bad art, but then <laughs> I, I was meaning to ask you uh, earlier when you were bringing up uh, being an art critic and having an eye, an inherent kind of talent for what makes good or bad art. Can you explain to me what makes good art? <laughs> In like 60 um, seconds I... or less, everything that you learned, just like, just like, okay, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there is actually such a thing as good art or bad art, but my, what I gravitate towards and what I think is always nice is when something is just beautiful, I don't need a backstory. I honestly don't need to know an artist's intent. I don't really care to know much about it. If your entire if the entire product that you're putting out is about how it was made, to me, that's very uninteresting. Mm -hmm. And what matters to me more is what is this final product that I'm actually looking at? Does it make me feel anything? <laughs> is it, you know, and it really just comes down to, is it beautiful? And that's sort of my litmus test for whether something is good art or bad art. You know, I don't really care if it took like, 12 tractors and I don't know, whatever you like mixed your own cement in the gallery and had to have like a crane, put something like, I don't care. Is it ugly when I'm looking at it? Is it awful? Do I, do, do I, do, does it like lack any sort of soul? I, you know, like, I don't care how it was made or assembled. I just want to know that it's beautiful when I look at it. That's, that's it. You're not into meta sort of, sort of art. <laughs> I guess not. Because yeah. <laughs> at I... the end of the day, it really is expecting a lot from, you know, not even a critic, but it's expecting a lot from a person walking in and viewing your art to be able to, one, that they're going to actually read <laughs> the text that's on the wall. And two, that they're going to be interested in what you have to, what your process is or what you have to say. There, most people are just going to look at something and that's how I really feel like, I mean, that art is visual. If you, if you don't get some sort of feeling when you look at something, you're already off to a bad start. So on your website, I looked at your website, uh, which I have before, but I re-looked at it for prepping for this, for this interview and mm -hmm. it brings up 
that you are inspired by your Egyptian heritage, that that is something that comes out in your ceramic work. And I was curious as to how it does. Um, I'm really interested in antiquity and Egyptian heritage and my Egyptian heritage has, it just has a really long, rich history. I mean, it's like the oldest culture in the world. And there was, there's so much to look at as far as sculpture and pottery and painting and something is really interesting to me about making something today that could not only be relevant today, hopefully relevant 50 years, a hundred years from now, but something that was, could have been relevant, you know, a hundred years ago or 500 or, you know, 3000 years ago. And that's sort of what I'm trying to get at when I make something. And so it makes a lot of sense for me to look really far in the past. And as far as, you know, I make pottery. So, you know, that's really the original art form. And, you know, there's not so much reinventing of the wheel. I do a lot of classical shapes. But I really, it's really important to me to look back and see what are the forms that, what's the original form that was made and what are the forms that, have been consistent through history. And I sort of like to align myself with that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. It, it, it's, it's, if I'm understanding correctly, it's kind of, I mean, there's, there's just the act of it being pottery to begin with. So like there's that connection, but then also just the idea of like, somebody can look at a pot in 200 years and be like, oh yeah, that's cool. Kind of like we can with you know, old, old Egyptian art. Am I understanding that correctly? Um, yes and no. I, I guess I'm I'm trying to make something that is truly timeless versus making something that is extremely tethered to trend. I think that's more where my interest lies. Isn't that what I you said? Know? Oh, is it? Sorry. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, just, just, just something where like, you know, in the future you can, you can look back on it and be like, yeah, that's, that's just a, that's just cool pottery. Like that's just a, you know, that's a thing I can still appreciate, even though we're like surrounded by robots in this post-apocalyptic world, but I can still understand I this see. pottery. Yes. So yes, that is, that is correct. Um, I think the one thing that I didn't get from that is not only looking back and saying, oh, that's cool. I can appreciate it. But looking back and being like, oh, that's still relevant to me today. And I would still have that in my home today with my robots. That's the, that's the bit. I see. Okay. The piece All right, that so... I think is cool and that we're, I'm looking back and studying this piece of Ruby Bell ceramics. It's, I'm looking back and if I can get my hands on one, I want one. Mm -hmm. um, no. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think we're on the same page here. Yeah. So. <laughs> Walk me through this. I've never, I, I haven't tried to do anything with ceramics since I played with Play-Doh as a child, which I'm assuming is like very close to the same thing, right? So yeah, it's pretty close. So walk me through the process. You you get up and then you say, I'm going to make some shit. And then what happens? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I normally, my day goes like this. I start my day looking at some inspiration. So I pull out, you know, whatever art books or I don't know, design books or just like interior design, I can kind of be inspired by anything. So I pull out just like a selection of five or so books and I just spend my morning flipping through them and just kind of soaking in whatever I see through osmosis, if you will. Then I go downstairs, I set up my studio and choose a, you know, kind of choose a shape. Maybe I'll sketch something, maybe not, but I try to have a vision of the general thing I'm going to make before you start. Um, one thing that I recommend if anybody is going to try out uh, messing around with clay is don't just start making something unless you have a, at least a vague conception of what you're going to do. Cause it, it'll make your life a little bit easier. 
So then I just, you know, I grab the, I choose the clay that I'm going to, you know, execute this idea in. Um, and that's one reason why you kind of want to have an idea of what you're going to make because different clays have different success rates with various things. So you, you know, if you have no idea what you're going to make and you pull out porcelain, it's not going to work out. Um, and then I, you know, then I just start, do you want me to tell you how I, how I make things? <laughs> What's your question? <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. But first I want to go back to, to the books that you pull out. Like what's some stuff that you really look at and think, hell yeah. Um, well this, uh, I didn't have time this morning cause I was running late for this meeting, but yesterday I pulled out some Georgia O'Keeffe books. Um, I pulled out some, uh, Moroccan interior design books from the seventies. <laughs> and, um, I pulled out one of my favorite, um, old art history books to look at, which was just, uh, art history through the ages. <laughs> I think I got it at ASU <laughs> in one yeah. of my art history classes, but it has really good images and it has a huge section devoted to, um, Egyptian sculpture. So I, you know, just kind of flipped through and um, lately I've been really interested in interiors, um, any sort of like North African or kind of like Mediterranean um, interiors. And it's actually how I got one of my favorite ideas ever. Um, I recently made uh, this vessel that has a, I call them the altar vessels, and it has this sort of inset niche um, in the body of the vase and with like a little shelf. And um, I was looking at one of those books and there was just in, in a room, there was this inset um, niche above a bed, you know, just like in a wall and nothing was in it. There was no shelf in it. Um, but it was just really beautiful to look at. And I thought, oh, like how great, you know, there's something above this bed that, I mean, I don't really know what its purpose is, you know? And then I just started thinking like, oh, like what could it's, you know, if not like an actual purpose, what could, what could it offer? And I don't know. I was just thinking like, oh, like you're lying in bed, you're sleeping. Like maybe it's this thing that like all your anxieties of the day, you know, get, get caught in this niche, you know, while you're sleeping. Um, you know, I wonder if I can create something like that in a pot. And that's what I did. And I, it's my favorite form I think that I've ever made. Um, but it just came from, you know, being inspired by, you know, a room essentially. Does that happen to you a lot where you kind of go into it with some sort of manifesto as far as it's going to kind of serve this like mental or emotional purpose that is outside of just like the use of it? Like, do you have something like kind of in mind before you start? Yeah. You know, I don't know if I ever really like express in words what it is, but, you know, I do think of what I make as fine art. I do think think of it as sculpture. And, you know, of course it has a functionality, you know, at the end of the day, all of my pieces are vases, you know, you can use them to put flowers in and people can decorate their homes. But I, you know, I do think about it, at least for myself, um, as having another purpose. Um, and even if people don't know what that purpose is, um, you know, and it's not something that I, you know, advertise necessarily. It's not something that I like put on my website for each piece where the inspiration came from. Um, for me, I, I feel like the pieces that I make that have that, um, end up just feeling different. I think they, I don't know, they end up to my eye, just being the better pieces of the lot, um, than the ones where, you know, maybe it's a commission and somebody had an idea that they wanted me to execute or, um, or even if I was just like, oh, you know, I've been making this type of form it, you know, maybe I should throw this other type of form in the mix to kind of balance out the group. You know, those pieces tend to just be filler. Um, but the ones that, you know, where inspiration really struck, I feel like you can tell the difference. 
Yeah, I I mean, that makes opinion. sense. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean that make that makes sense. Like it, it it emotionally resonates, and I and I think that that is often a thing that people you know talk about with all forms of art, whether it's you know, and it's hard to explain, but whether it has some sort of inherent sort of emotional hook or sincerity to it versus like what you were saying, kind of just like doing stuff because you were like asked to or just to like you know make it you know a more complete set or whatever if i'm understanding you correctly yeah exactly um but yeah tell me tell me how you go about that first of all what what's what's the if i was to do ceramics what kind of clay is the is the ruby bell ceramic standard <laughs> uh, well since i hand build i choose clays that it's called grog it's like a lot of really coarse sand mixed in the clay um you know, I'm attracted to, you know, I don't do a lot of glazes. So I'm attracted to clays that look really beautiful, fired on their own without the need to, you know, add glazing to the mix. So I really gravitate towards really textured, um, kind of messy clays. I feel like they sort of lend a hand towards, you know, this kind of antiquity type of vibe that I go for anyway. Um, and then when you're hand building, you know, you need something that is a little more forgiving, if you will. Um, you know, I don't know many hand builders who build with porcelain. Some people do, but it seems very, uh, you know, time consuming um, and very fussy. Um, and they certainly don't coil with it, which is what I do. So I choose a hardy clay. And then um, after the like physical properties of the clay, I just look for color. Um, you know, what's going to fire really beautifully? What's a very like natural color? Um, and my favorite clay that I work with, uh, that I've always worked with and that I work with currently is a black clay. Um, it's just, it's like very pleasant to touch, <laughs> which makes the building process more enjoyable. And it just fires really beautifully. So what other tools do you use? Um, I don't use very many tools, actually. I use a knife that um, I took from my kitchen. <laughs> and Just like a butter I knife? A or No, I use, um, it was a cheese knife, actually. <laughs> hmm. It was, pretty, it ha I don't know, something that I was looking for something one day that I didn't have downstairs. And... I found this cheese knife that happened to be the perfect size for holding in my hand. It wasn't too long and it had a little curved point at the end that I really needed. Um, so that just, I co-opted it and it now lives with me in my studio. Ooh. So I use the cheese knife and I use a ruler and I use um, a tool called a rasp that's essentially like a handheld cheese grater or like zester it's that kind of shaver type of thing um and I use it to shape my forms and in some cases it it leaves a really nice uh like rough texture that most people smooth out um but I really like that effect so I leave it so I really I just use those tools I don't have um, I've just never really been into like gear and I like to keep it really simple. So it's just those tools and my hands and that's it. Yeah, that makes sense, especially because you kind of described it earlier as like a sort of meditative sort of process. So I could see if you just had a bunch of gear that that might kind of take away from that meditative process a little bit, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think it also, you know, it's... It, every tool has, you know, everything has a purpose. So, you know, it really just depends on what you're making. And I, you know, some people use like a slab roller. That's, you know, like a huge machine that presses clay into like a flat sheet so that you can lay it over things and make molds. Um, you know, I don't really do that just cause I, you know, literally everything I make is coils. Um, and there's not really a way to, to speed that up. Mm -hmm. That makes um, sense. And also, I guess also part of my enjoyment, which goes to what you're saying, the meditative process is that I don't need it to be sped up. 
you know, for me, the pleasure is in the making. Well, that, that leads really nicely into my next question, which was how long on average does it take you to complete a piece? I'd imagine there's a wide range there, but like, what is there, you know, a give or take average? I would say for most pieces, they can be completed in two days Um, and two days, you know, of actually sitting in my studio working, you know, like five hours a day. So, you know, most things can be made within 10 hours. Um, You know, there's the occasion if I'm making something really big or something that has, you know, like a lot of additional details on it, like you know, if I have a huge pot that's covered in chains, you know, those chains are pretty time consuming. Um, you know, so sometimes it can take about a week, but I don't make pieces like that that often. Um, kind of going back to making things special, you know, those pieces do really stand out. And so I, you know, I, it's not an every, it's not a weekly occurrence that I make something like that. You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of a once every couple of months type of thing. Gotcha. Um, so typically so it's two days. Two days. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you brought up, you brought up earlier that you, uh, kind of just put stuff on the internet. You started putting stuff on the internet and then friends started just buying them. And I was curious if there was any other kind of rule of thumb that you go by as far as getting your art into the world enough to make it a sustaining business? Um, So what happened pretty early on, it happened actually as soon as I moved to Portland. Um, And this all happened through Instagram, which at the time was a really reliable tool for artists and small businesses. Now I'm, you know, I'm not so sure how reliable it is. Yeah. But um. I started getting contacted by retailers, by stores who wanted to place orders to carry my pieces. So, um, I, you know, my work has been in over 12 stores at this point, and they've all come to me through Instagram, which is interesting, I think, Hmm. um, I'm currently in five, five of those stores. And so, you know, what I did when I first started out, you know, one store got in touch, um, and had a very specific list of what they wanted, um, you know, based on my Instagram feed and they wanted me to replicate things. So, you know, I fulfilled an order of like five pieces for them that they wanted me to replicate. And then another store got in touch and placed a bigger order kind of in that same manner. And now what I do um, primarily is, you know, with stores that I've worked with, you know, pretty consistently for the last several years, and they just know what I make and they, you know, they, there's a certain level of trust so that I don't get bored and I don't keep making the same pieces over and over and over again. I ask that they give me a little leeway and I kind of make what I want to make and send them a surprise. (laughs) Or at the very least, once I'm kind of, you know, 10 pieces in, send them a, you know, an updated picture of what I'm working on. And they can say yay or nay, whether they want them. So, so Instagram was a big part of this, like, but you don't know whether or not that would necessarily work now for someone getting their foot in the door, at least not quite as effectively. But at the time when you started, like that was, that was your main gateway. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I know I'm not alone in this, you know, the, the like visibility when you look at your, your like reach on Instagram is so low now. It's like, I, I don't even think, you know, more than a hundred of my own followers who choose to follow me actually see any of my posts, um, which is, you know, just really unfortunate. Um, it you seems know, like you have to time, like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say, it seems like you, in order to like make that work now, it seems like people need to be like posting like multiple times a day, just like constant, yeah. just, just so people actually like see it, which seems like that would be annoying 
to your followers if you're just like constantly barraging them like multiple times a day but that seems like unfortunately the only way to like have it be effective i don't know I mean, that makes sense why I only see a really small snippet of the people that I follow. Mm -hmm. You know, I see the same 50 accounts constantly throughout the day. And it's probably because they're so prolific on there. And so they just have a, you know, a higher ranking on the platform. Right. Um, It's all just like, I'm not a content creator, you know, I am, <laughs> I guess in a way in the real world, I am a content creator, but you know, I don't make reels and post them. That's not what my creative outlet is. And, you know, occasionally I'll make videos of my process, but that's a lot of work actually. You know, I, I don't just like set up my, you know, phone on a tripod and just like get to work you know, in order to make a good video, that's actually going to get a lot of hits, you know, you have to move it around a bunch and you have to get different views of what you're doing. And there's a lot of editing that goes into it. And, you know, I'll end up spending the majority of my day, you know, fussing around with this recording and, um, you know, and a piece that could have just been completed that day, you know, ends up taking like three or four days to actually finish because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the day, I mean, who knows whether that actually, you know, excites the algorithm that is Instagram or not, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's more like me throwing something at the wall to see what will stick. Um, so I don't know, you know, if, you know, how big a role Instagram or any social platform is going to play in my future. Um, you know, I don't intend on getting off of it, but, I don't know that it's wise to rely on it as heavily as I once did. Yeah. Setting things up that way is an unfulfilling hassle. And then this is why I haven't done it much and maybe I should uh, do it more. Uh, Cause that is part of like the game or whatever, if you like make stuff and are wanting to get it out into the world. But yeah, it's so hard to tell like whether it's actually like working or whatever that it's, it's uh it becomes hard to like work up the motivation to do it. So yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Definitely. And just, it's so time consuming. It's, you know, I mean, there's a reason that these are paid jobs for other people. You right. Know? Totally. Um. So I, I asked you previous to this, I said that I was going to ask you for a book, a film and a song that have been particularly inspirational to you. And if you want, you can also, or instead of, if you want to substitute something, this is this is this is casual here. You can, uh, <laughs> you know, bring up visual art um, instead of or in addition to. But did you prepare for this at all? <laughs> um, I didn't, and I don't know how great my answers are going to be. Um, Let me have it. Oddly, oddly- Oddly enough, being married to a musician, I don't listen to music, which is really weird to say. Um, I have, I, whenever music is on, I enjoy it, but I'm not an avid like collector of, you know, musical things. So I, I like don't know any musicians. I don't know any artists. I don't know any songs. When a song is on, that's usually been played by Jared. I like it, but I can never remember who it is. So I have no answer to your question. That by the <laughs> way is uh, Jared Bell from, uh, from the, the band limbic system. What's up, Jared, if you happen to be listening to this. Yes. <laughs> Jared is not here. Um, and yeah, no, well, I mean, like, Jared. I mean, later, I didn't think he was like listening in on this, but I meant like, if he, if he takes the time at, like when this comes out is what I meant. Yes. Um, so uh, what do you what do you listen to yeah. then? Do you listen to podcasts when you're working or do you just like are you a silence person or do audiobooks? What what is I'm actually it's weird. I'm a I'm a silent person. Um I don't know. I I need just like whatever's going on in my head and no distractions to just focus on what I'm doing. Um, you know, occasionally I'll put like some sort of nonsense on in the background, like, you know, Real Housewives or some shit just to, you know, have like a droning backdrop of not something that I'm actually paying attention to. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, it is 
silence. Um, that's just kind of the way I've always been. It's how I best concentrate. And I don't know, especially maybe the way that I go about hand building, I sort of need my thoughts to be present in what I'm doing. Cause I, you know, one thing, I don't even know if I touched on this, but as I'm building something, you know, I have a general idea of what it's going to be, but more than half the time it shifts through the course of building, you know, maybe my body is like tilted more to the left that day when I'm building something. And so my piece isn't, you know, exactly symmetrical. Maybe the left side is going out a little bit more. And so it would take so much more work and it would just feel kind of wrong for me to, you know, cut it down and adjust it and kind of get it back to where in my head it was supposed to be versus just going with it and kind of building it from there and seeing where that goes. Mm. And so for me, part of the, you know, experience is that it's a bit of an exploration. Um, you know, so it's like, I, that's why I don't sketch that much. Cause it's, it's almost pointless. It's like it, more often than not, my piece does not end up where I started, but it's good to have, it's good to have a concept in mind when you start, but then you have to be, at least for me, I enjoy being open to what happens. And if I'm just zoning out, listening to something else or watching something else, it makes it more difficult for me to prioritize what I'm doing and kind of lean into whatever shape it's actually taking. Um, cause I, I don't know. I mean, it's not a living thing, but it is, I don't know. I, I try to offer what I'm doing, the courtesy and respect to be all in on what I'm doing in that moment. I'm, I'm jealous that you have the ability to do that. I don't know if it's just the, um, constant barrage of like media now, just the fact that like, you know, even when my, you know, partner leaves the room for like a minute, then I'll just like, you know, scroll on my phone or whatever. But when I'm just like faced with just like complete silence, I feel like I'm just like, my, my head just goes into like, you know, spirals of like, you know, everyone who's wronged me, everything that I've ever done wrong in my life. And I just need like, I mean, that happens to me, but <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, most of what goes through my head at any living time, I'm constantly going through, you know, what was that horrible thing I said yesterday? I'm so embarrassed or, you know, whatever, or what was that bullshit I made last week? That's terrible. You know, don't do that again. You know, with every, with everything I make, there's always the, the background in my brain of don't fuck it up you know, right. <laughs> but, but you're able to turn that off it, a little bit when you're like working on something, which is cool. Yeah. I try to turn it off. And also maybe it's the flaw of my psyche, but maybe I need a little bit of that to make me better. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, maybe I need my own criticism kind of always in the back of my head, you know, and it keeps me pushing forward a little bit. Um, I don't know if it's appropriate or not, or if it's a good thing, but it's, it is definitely just how I operate. Yeah. Maybe that helps me too, on some level, maybe just like constantly saying to myself, like, God, you're such a failure. Maybe that's like pushing me <laughs> to do better things on some level, even if I don't realize it. So yeah, you, you bring up a good point. Yeah. Um, let's say that that's positive. Let's yeah. Sure. Um, um, well, is, is there anything then, else that I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no. Um, you want me to keep going down my list? Of yeah, things if, you, I... if you have a, if you have a list that you feel like sharing, sure. Um, my favorite movie, that's a movie that I watch, um, like once a year, um, which you may have seen before is La Ventura. It's, um, a movie, an Italian movie from 1960 or, you know, early 60s won't go into like the entire details of the plot of this movie, but it's an interesting movie in that there's, there's like a bit of a plot at the beginning, but it really, there's no like character development that happens. It's really just about how visual the, you know, surrounding like Rome and, you know, Sicily um, in the summertime. It's really just like very, visual and you know audio the music is really 
um, beautiful and kind of like anxiety inducing, if you will. And when I think of this movie or really what I like about it is that there's a lot of mystery. Um, and that's something that I also try to tap into when I'm making something that there should be a little bit of mystery. Um, and it may be like, oh, like, how was that made? You know, or maybe it's just you, you don't know what you like about it or exact, you can't quite put your finger on why you like looking at it, but you do. Um, it's a pretty intangible feeling, but it's something that I enjoy when I look at things and it's my hope that that's what people get when they look at at least some of my work. Yeah, that makes sense from what you were saying earlier about like kind of what you like about art as far as it kind of lacking a really like detailed behind the scenes sort of explanation of it and it being kind of like left to the imagination. So yeah, that makes sense that that would appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Is it, but yeah, is there, is there any other, any other works you want to give a shout out to? Um, no, I would just say, you know, like my collection of art books and design books and, you know, like interior design books that I just kind of flip through on a daily or weekly basis. Um, you know, it's not just any one, it's, it's really just like a collection of, you know, you see two or three different very different images together and you start to get different ideas. Um, you know, so it's really, it's not one book that was inspirational, you know, it's really just visually immersing myself in things daily, mm -hmm. um, mixing it up to kind of get a different, a different take on something, you know, looking at, you know, like, a yesterday I went to Powell's and I got, um, you know, an exhibition catalog for John Baldessari that I hadn't, you know, really thought of John Baldessari in years, but I saw this catalog and I was like, okay, great. I'll get, I'll snag this. So I got that. And then I was looking at it with, um, Mary Cassatt paintings. And then I was looking at, um, you know, an antique, a book about antique chairs <laughs> And I don't know, something about looking at these three very different things, um, you know, started to give me some ideas on different forms that I've never made before. Um, you know, and I like this, you know, part of, part of my entire thing about making something that's truly timeless. Um, you know, it's not about mimicking something that's old. It's about taking elements from things that are old and things that are, you know, from different eras and kind of putting them together in such a seamless way that they seem contemporary. Um, that's, I mean, I feel like that's really like the meat of what I try to get at. Um, and that's really, you know, that's what that whole process is about. It's looking at things from different eras, different mediums entirely, and, you know, trying to glean a little bit of what they were trying to get at and piecing them together in a way that doesn't seem um, forced. Do you think people should donate to Venmo.com backslash the creative curmudgeon? <laughs> yes, absolutely. That is the right answer. That um, is the right answer. I also actually, I have one thing. I, I, want people, I don't ever want, want anyone to go through an experience in their life where they feel like they admire somebody else's creativity, but don't think they have it in them to do that. Cause I feel, you know, I spent so many years feeling that way and it's really limiting you know, you don't have to be one thing, you know, you don't have to be, you know, an artist and that's the only thing you do. And you don't have to be a curator and that's the only thing that you do. Um, you know, I feel like anybody, really anybody is an artist and maybe, or maybe everybody is an artist and they just don't give themselves 
the courtesy to try. Um, but if anyone is ever interested, I feel like everyone should buy some clay online, buy some air dry clay. You don't need a kiln and, you know, just like mess around. Cause I, I really do believe that everyone is creative and I really do believe that everyone needs art in their life. You know, they need things in their home that they like looking at, you know, on a daily basis. And I really do think that it's therapeutic and beneficial to make art yourself um, and to not have a barrier of whether you're good or not. Um, Cause it's just, it's really unnecessary. And I, I really think that everybody is an artist and they just need to kind of get over the hump of thinking that they're not. Cause I really think your mind is the, is the bigger barrier. I think it's an underrated thing. And like, I, I also am guilty of this because oftentimes when I'm making something like in the back of my head, I have the idea of like getting it out into the world in like some capacity and what reaction might be to that, which I've been trying to get out of, but just the uh, habit of just like doing something like that, just because it's like a fun and fulfilling thing for you, like regardless of what you're, whether you're going to try to like sell it or something. Like, I think that that's an underrated thing for just mental health purposes in, in our world. Yeah, so I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And actually, I, going back to your question, is there a book that inspired you? There is not a book that inspired me, but there is a person, um, an art critic that inspires me, um, Jerry Saltz. I follow him on Instagram and I recommend other people do too, because they're very funny. Um, but he, you know, he is a very prolific, uh, like tweeter and Instagrammer and his, his like take on artists is so interesting. It's basically he's, he yells at us on a daily basis to just get to work. And that's really it. It's just get to work. Stop talking about it. Stop complaining about it. Stop, you know, coming up with ideas. It's like, no, the idea, you don't come up with the ideas. They just come to you as you're doing the work, just mm -hmm. work. And yeah, decide later once you've completed it, whether it's good or not, or what to do with it. But you only get your next idea while you're working on your current idea. That's a Jerry Saltzism. And that really resonates with me. Yeah. And if you're overthinking it, then like, A, you won't get as much done. And then B, it may not be as sincere to begin with, because you are just like putting so much thought into manufacturing something. So, so that makes sense. Exactly. Thanks for talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.